One thing that we cannot escape in this world is tribulation. We cannot escape trials. We cannot escape troubles. We cannot escape the death of loved ones. I heard a theologian once say that if you live long enough, you will suffer. Think of grieving over loved ones, grieving over finances, maybe your current medical condition. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe it's that sin that feels like it won't go away and it stirs up doubts in your heart. Doubts, maybe whether you're a Christian, doubts about where is your faith. Today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 9. And the Lord Jesus is going to give a lesson to the disciples, a lesson in faith. And so look with me, if you would, at Mark chapter 9, the gospel according to Mark chapter 9, verse 14. I'm going to read verse 14 through 29. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. And scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. And ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, And he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out. By anything but prayer. This is God's holy word. Let us pray 
in light of God's Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we approach Your throne this morning, Father, we pray for a great blessing from Your Word, Father. We pray that our, our hearts will be able to apprehend and comprehend, Lord, a greater, to a greater degree, to a greater measure of faith, just who the Lord Jesus Christ is, why He came, and what He came to do, and how faith works. Lord, if there be anyone here who is not believing by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, is not trusting in Him, I pray today would be that day. Lord, give us a blessing according to the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we think of the book of Mark, this is Mark chapter 9. Uh, last time, several weeks ago, we looked at uh, the beginning of Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration, which Jesus selected three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, to go up onto the mountain. And while he was there, he was transfigured. And they saw the glory. They got a glimpse of the majesty, the spectacular glory of Jesus Christ. And his, his clothing became bright like light. His face shone like the sun. And the disciples were terrified. They were afraid. And the Lord revealed Himself to them. And then immediately following that, we, we have this story here. It's another healing, if you will. Another uh, exorcism where Jesus commands a spirit uh, to come out of a person. And it is noted that it is uh, four times in this passage. It gives reference to what's wrong with this boy and what's wrong with this boy. But there's something really unique about Mark chapter 9. And it really begins in Mark chapter 8. For Mark is split at Mark chapter 8 by Peter's great confession. When he says of Jesus Christ, he says, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And on that, based on that confession, uh, is a great turning point in the book of Mark. And before we look at maybe Mark chapter 1, Mark identifies why he's writing this gospel account. And as he begins, the very first thing he says, he says, the beginning of the gospel. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so the first few uh, chapters of Mark all the way through chapter 8, we see Jesus doing spectacular things, commanding spirits with a word and them fleeing. He raises the dead. He calms the storm with a word. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He feeds the 4,000. He does many healings. And so we come to this text in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, and say, well, why is there another healing? Beloved, as you read the Scriptures, I want you to understand and know that, that what Mark has written here is not just, uh, oh, I think I'll, this would be a good spot for me to maybe add in a little healing event. Or anything like that. But this, this is particularly important lesson for the disciples. In that this healing is not uh, the marvel of all marvels in it. It's not the point of the passage. Look with me if you would at verse 14. It says, when they came to the disciples. That is, when Jesus, Peter, James, and John, when they came down off the mountain. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. And the scribes were arguing with them. 
And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, they were greatly amazed and they ran up to him and they greeted him. Before chapter 8, Jesus typically had done something. He has either commanded a spirit uh, to come out. He's forgiven someone of their sins. He has done some kind of uh, miraculous event. And then they marvel. And Jesus' fame has spread. And then now, Jesus just shows up. And the people run to him and are amazed. And there's something else going on here. And one of the things that we're going to see from this passage, from beginning to the end is we're going to see it's really bookended by the disciples. And the thing that we are going to see here as far as a lesson of faith, we're going to see Jesus describe three different ideas of faith. The first uh, idea is that faith is objective. Faith is objective. Secondly, we're going to see that feeble faith is enough. That the, the smallest measure of faith is enough. And lastly, thirdly, we're going to see there's, a, there's an intimate, intertwining connection between faith and prayer. And so, as we see in this first section, uh, between the verses 14 uh, down through 19, we're going to see that faith is objective. And the idea is that faith is not in faith. But faith is to be in a person. Faith is to be in God. And one of the things that we see here is Jesus uh, comes down the mountain. There's this great debate. It's heated. It's intense. Uh, The scribes are there. And the disciples, uh, the other nine disciples are there. And they're trying to cast out a demon out of this boy. And the scribes are there. And you can just imagine the scene of all the disciples. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus gave them authority to cast out demons. And and they were rejoicing that the demons were subservient to them, that that they would obey them. And they were healing many people. And so we come to this part of the text and this demon is not obeying them. Something's wrong. The disciples are failing. And you can just hear the scribes probably mocking them, probably asking them, what authority are you saying these things? How is it that you are trying to command these evil spirits? And they're probably with their uh, little quills out of their pencils taking notes on, how are they doing this? What are they saying? How are you failing? God is not with you, is he? You can't cast out a single demon? It was probably pretty embarrassing for the disciples, wasn't it? As as the crowd flocks to Jesus, they're they're so in. Uh, embroiled in this debate that Jesus walks up on them and they just like at the last minute recognize him. In verse 16, he says to them, what are you arguing about with them? What's going on here? He's saying. Someone from the crowd answered him. You think, why didn't the scribes boast that, you know, ha ha, your disciples, they're weak. They're without power. They're without authority. Probably because at this point in the text, they know that when they go dueling with Jesus, that they always come out on the bad end of the stick. They always are beside themselves. The disciples, probably because their lack of power, their lack of ability to cast out this demon, probably pretty embarrassed, probably pretty humiliated. Probably greatly perplexed, too, on 
Why didn't it work? What happened? So someone out of the crowd speaks up and he answers. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And as we as we go through this text, he's going to he says, whenever it seizes him, that is, is whenever the spirit seizes him, throws him down, he foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So we think of that, you think that sounds a lot like epilepsy. But this text, as long as, uh, along with uh, Matthew that records this event, and same with Luke, the medical doctor, they don't attribute this to a medical condition. There may have been some underlining tones of this, but it directly addresses that there is a spiritual uh, battle going on here. And he asks, he says, I ask your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. The idea is that they had no power. This word power, this idea of they have no strength. They weren't able to do it. It's the same word that was used in, in uh, Mark chapter 5 when the demoniac comes up and he's screaming and railing, the one that has legion within him. And it says that no one was able to tame him. No one was able to subdue him. Same word, he's saying that Your disciples were not able to cast out. They were not able. They did not have the strength. They did not have the power. And Jesus, weary, He says, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? See, at this point in the text, Peter has made the confession that Jesus is the Christ. But as, as they go through things, uh, they're, they're kind of dense in their understanding. They don't quite get who Jesus is now. Even when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until after the resurrection. Because they would probably have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is and try to make him king to be some kind of political victor. And so they're, they're really struggling on who Jesus is. And even later in Mark chapter 9, we're going to see that even shortly after this event, after they get a, a lesson on faith, they're going to be bickering and arguing about who is the greatest among the disciples. As if that is the most important thing. Here we're going to see that faith is objective. Faith is in a person. Faith is to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say that because in this beginning, the disciples were powerless to do anything. Matthew says that, he he says, oh, you of little faith. And Jesus brings a chastisement and he kind of says it in a general way. And he says, oh, faithless generation. He's like, where is the faith? Where is the faith? Bring him to me. You see, not only did the disciples not have the power to cast out this demon, but the scribes were without faith. The crowd was without faith. And even the father, it's questionable whether at this point he had faith or not. He did did have enough hope 
and enough hearing about who Jesus is that he brings his son to the Lord Jesus knowing he, he is my only hope. But generally he says, oh, faithless generation. Where is the hope? You see, as Jesus is on the scene, the hope is to be in him. And his disciples were on their own and uh, had had great success, great victories before in calling upon demons to leave and to heal people. It's a wonder in this particular passage, were they doing the same thing? Were they depending upon their own previous successes, their own power, their own ability, and they had forgotten their faith, not only in Christ, the Messiah, but uh, as the Son of God, but in, in the calling upon the Father through the Son, by the power of the Spirit. Beloved, when we see this right here, it is a reminder that faith is objective. Our faith is itself is not just in faith. It's not in a hope so. It's in a person. It's in Christ. It's in Jesus. And so our faith also is to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. The one who is victorious over the grave. The one who is victorious over our sin. And the one who is victorious over all the demonic realm. Christ is great. Christ is the object of our faith. I have to ask you today, is He the object of your faith? Do you look upon Him amidst your sufferings, your trials, your wrestling, maybe with your children, uh, with your job, with your school, with your life, with your health? Is your faith grounded and rooted in Christ? When we think about what God wants us to know about this particular text, I think God wants us to know that when we are lacking in faith toward Him, in one sense, we're powerless to do anything. We must, we must stay connected to the vine. We must stay connected to Christ. And secondly, uh, what we're going to see is this, this man that that comes before Jesus desperate with this boy, he's, he's in a critical position. I mean, consider what he has just said about his son. He said, this spirit seizes my son, throws him down, makes him foam at the mouth. He grinds his teeth. He becomes rigid. He is desperate for help. Can you imagine being that father? Can you imagine being that father and wrestling with your whole life? Wrestling and struggling with an ailment like that. I had a friend in Nebraska. Their little daughter was a two-year-old. And she had, I think uh, it was some brain issues as a two-year-old. And for years and years and years, and even to this day, the, the, the girl's like, I think in her 30s. And she's in a home because no one can really take care of her. And they have struggled to deal with this kind of issue their whole life. So this father is approaching Jesus. And he says, bring the boy to me. Shows compassion on this man who knows Jesus is my only hope. In verse 20, it says they, they brought the boy to him. But notice what it says right after that. It says, when the Spirit saw him, 
So when the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground, and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. The boy's condition is highlighted here again, making explicit mention that there is an active, demonic, spiritual force going on here. And Jesus shows compassion through this. Jesus shows an immense calm. It's almost like he's not even worried about anything or what's even going on and happening. Look what he says in verse 21. Jesus turns his attention to the Father and he says, how long has this been happening to him? And he says, from childhood. You can just hear the the weight of those words and the years that have scaled up. This this has been going on for years. Jesus, in his compassion, wants to hear of the Father. This is not something that's just short-lived or temporary. This has been going on and on and on. The Father says in verse 22, he keeps giving detail, vivid detail about his son. He says, it has often cast him into the fire to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help us, he says. Beloved, when we think about this text, do you believe that there are spiritual, demonic, nefarious forces in this world? Do you believe that there are a spiritual realm that we cannot see? Do you believe that we have an arch enemy, one called the devil, through whom we battle with as believers in Christ? What does the scripture describe him? He's a thief, he is a liar, he is a deceiver, he is an accuser. He wants to malign anyone who is made in the image of God. Young people, let me have your attention now. The devil wants your mind. The devil wants to cripple you. He wants to harm you. He wants to deceive you. He wants to make the things of this world look attractive. These worldly fantasies that capture your attention. He wants to fill your mind with the godlike rule over other people. He wants to distract you with entertainment. He wants to lure your mind away to other things that are temporal, seeking personal satisfaction, instant gratification, seeking to drown your woes, maybe in the, from the cares of this world through alcohol or other means. Oh, wait, maybe I'm not just talking to younger people, <laughs> right? Maybe I'm also talking to older people who may have their minds fixed on this utopic kind of lifestyle, or if I just had enough money, if I just had this, if I just had this one more thing, then I would have paradise. (laughs) Beloved, no, this this idea of deception, this idea of spiritual realities that we all face, this world is not all that there is. You need to find your only hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent His Son not only to live a perfect life 
for sinners like you and I. But He sent His Son to inaugurate the Kingdom of God. And He calls out, this is the Gospel of the Kingdom, right? Jesus says that in chapter 1. He says, repent therefore and believe in the Gospel. Believe in the good news. Believe in what Christ has done. He has power over the enemy. You don't have to be enslaved to your sins. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ for your forgiveness, for the satisfaction of your sins, for peace with God. Cast all of your cares upon Him. Put your faith in Christ. And He says you will be saved. You will have everlasting life. You will have peace with God. And although you may still have troubles and anguish and woes and even face death and the death of loved ones in this life, you will have life everlasting in Christ. And so, let your hope be in Him. Get understanding. If you were a young person, get wisdom. Get wisdom from God's Word. Know what the truth is. Don't be deceived by this world. Know that the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ brings us knowledge of salvation from our sins. It brings us knowledge of the truth of who God is and what He has done to save us from our sins. What grace, what mercy this is in God's great truth. There is a, a faith that is just small as a mustard seed. Do you have it? Do you have faith that is small as a mustard seed? Well, beloved, what we are going to see in this text, not only is that faith is objective, that it's in a person, it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, we're going to see that feeble faith or weak faith or even the smallest amount of faith is enough. It's looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what this man does. In the midst of uh, the boy being brought to Jesus and falling down and foaming at the mouth and becoming rigid, and his father saying, have compassion on us. Have mercy on us. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And the idea is that, well, I was just with your representatives. I was just with your disciples. And I watched all of them and they couldn't do anything. But if you can do anything, please have compassion. And Jesus' response is very bold. And he answers the man back with the same retort. He says, if you can. See, the idea is, it's not if Jesus has the ability. For Jesus has the ability. But the idea is, will this man believe? Will this man look to Christ alone? And he says, all things are possible for one who believes. He says, He's saying, all things are possible with God. Look to me. Do you have faith that I can do this? He is going to do it. it says, immediately the Father cries out. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And he cries out so much that the rest of the crowd hears and they start running over. They start galloping over like, what's going on over there? Something's going to happen. There's a lot of hollering. The father cries out, I believe. Help my unbelief. He's like, I do believe, but there's a mixture here. There's anxiety here. There's 
trouble here. There is doubt. He is honest, right? He is helpless. He is humble here. He just tells it like it is. Help unbelief. Give me what I need. It says when Jesus saw the crowd coming and running together, he rebukes the unclean spirit and he commands it. And he commands the unclean spirit. He, he, he gives a word and the spirit obeys. He says, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he's dead. Isn't that just like the crowd? Maybe the scribes were, were fueling it and saying, he's dead. Maybe they were hoping he was dead. But death doesn't fear Christ. The spiritual realm doesn't make Christ afraid. But this faith that this man has, he came seeking the master. He was honest. He was open. He was humble. He wanted help. He cries out to the Lord. I believe. Help me. Help me. Help me have a greater faith. Do something that your disciples couldn't do. It's good to see that his faith here is in the right person. Um, have you ever had doubts in, in your faith? Have you ever had times you're like, Lord, are the, are the scriptures true? Lord, do I really believe? Lord, do, do I have faith? You've got to be thinking that the disciples uh, probably wondering the same thing. They, they see Jesus command this spirit. You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Jesus is the one who has the authority. He is the one through whom the power comes. He is the one that gives the divine power to make this even possible. As we understand and know the emphasis here is does this man have faith to receive this divine blessing? Is he going to believe? Is he going to look to the one who has all the power? And he looks to Jesus and the smallest amount of faith. You think of your, your faith and my faith. You think, how can I grow my faith? How can my faith increase? How do I, how do I advance in faith? And I'm sure the disciples were asking this very thing. For the, the before, they had great power. That the, the demons were obeying them. They were healing many. And now nothing. They're powerless. They're without strength. They're like, Lord, what happened? So just because your giftedness, you have a giftedness. Just because you have an ability. Just because you have been maybe strong or had a, maybe a mountain kind of experience at one time and you felt close to God. Well, how is your faith today? How is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today? Even the smallest measure of faith is sufficient for whether you have great faith or whether you have the smallest of faith, the Lord is the one that does the work. Here the the boy as he falls down convulsing terribly because of this evil spirit, it says that he was like a corpse. It doesn't say that he was a corpse. 
but, but he becomes like a corpse. So that most of them said, oh, he is dead. But I love this language that Mark uses because this language is going to foreshadow what is to come, uh, pointing at, at this turning point that Jesus is the Christ. He's already said, the Christ must suffer, must be killed, must be raised on the third day. Look with me at verse 27. He says, but Jesus takes this boy by the hand and he lifted him up and he arose. And, and the language is like resurrection language. Like is, uh, that, that there's going to have to be a death of Christ to bearing victory over Satan and death and hell and the judgment of God. And on the third day, Christ is going to be raised from the dead. It's foreshadowing what is to come. And I like how Mark does that. But as we're going to see here in verse 28, we've seen that faith is objective, that feeble faith is enough, but the way that this passage is bookended, it begins with the disciples' failure. And it ends with like a, a private session with Jesus among the disciples. Look at verse 28. It says, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? It's like, what's wrong with us, Jesus? We all tried something. What you did looked so easy. We did the same thing. What's wrong with us? And Jesus says to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You see, the disciples look to be doing this in their own power in the beginning. It's, it's almost like they were so busy that they had forgotten to pray. They had forgotten to call upon the only power that could help them. And, to, and in humility, and call upon the Lord, Lord, help me do this. Well, I don't know how the Lord has gifted you, but in our ordinary, everyday lives, and the things that we do, we shouldn't take for granted that we can do those things. We should be reminded uh, to call upon the Lord in prayer. Common vernacular these days is people say, I got this. Almost like, everybody move out of the way. I can do this. Right? <laughs> Famous last words, right? No, uh, the heart of the Christian should be, oh Lord. Uh, I know I, I drive up the mountain every single day. But I want to presume upon your grace and pray for safety. Pray for direction. Pray for wisdom. And not depend upon our giftedness. Whether it's in medicine or law or studying if you're a student and say, ah, I got this test. Oh no, we, we should keep coming back to the Lord and being reminded that we are in a spiritual battle. I, I can't live my life. I, you think you're an expert in evangelism? You go, oh, I have this. I have all the answers. No, that, that just sets us up for failure. It, it makes us think and believe like the disciples here that we can do things in our own power. But beloved, we can't do anything in our own power. And the disciples, this was a hard lesson for them, but they learned that faith exercises prayer. Point number three is faith 
exercises prayer. I love how John Calvin words it. When he, when he begins talking about prayer, he says that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. And the idea is, beloved, do you believe in God? Then I will ask you, do you pray? When you face a trial, when you face a hardship, when you face a, a, a troublesome time in your life, it's revealing. Do you, do you run to the Lord in prayer? Do you go to Him and labor him, uh, with Him in prayer? See, the ultimate enemy of faith is not doubt, although that's a serious concern is doubt. The ultimate enemy of faith is unbelief. It is forgetting where our hope is. It is forgetting in the one in whom we believe. And the disciples here have an ever-increasing realization of their total dependence upon Christ every day. For they're going to be faced with many challenges, many hardships. Some are going to face martyrdom. He's going to say, you need to be in prayer. There's an organic relationship here between your faith and your prayer. How about this? Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to have greater faith? How do you get there? Beloved, it is through prayer. It is through the Word. It is through the gathering of the assembly. uh, This means of grace that God uses. You want a more intimate relationship with God? Stop what you're doing. Go to Him in prayer. If the measure of your faith was based upon your prayer life, how would you measure up? Well, it's hard to hear, but there's a direct connection here between faith and prayer. It should be an encouragement for us to go to the Lord in prayer. For if you have weak faith, if your faith is small, if you feel like you're unsure, go to the Lord. He, he is there with open arms, welcoming you. Let's not depend upon our past successes or even our past failures. Trials, they have a way of really peeling back the layers of our hearts, don't they? I know uh, I talked to a friend the other day and they were, they were talking about this incredible uh, hardship uh, with their baby. Uh, wrestling every day at the hospital where their, uh, their baby was going to live or where their, their baby was going to die. And... I said, you know, that was some of the best part of my life because I had to depend upon the Lord every step of the way. That it really drew me in. It made me value prayer all the more. God answered my prayer in greater ways. I learned how to express myself more clearly in prayer. Sometimes trials, beloved, they're not meant to crush us. The Lord is walking through our trials with us. And it's for the purposes of our good that we would grow and mature. We would be more like Christ. Well, the means that God uses for us to grow our faith 
is his word. It is prayer. It is the gathering together. And it's also the Lord's Supper, which we're about to take in a minute together. May our faith increase in Christ after today, based on his word, based on the identity of who Christ is, based on this lesson of faith. Oh yeah, I should pray. Do you ever feel like that? Lord, why haven't I prayed? Let us go to God in prayer even now. Heavenly Father, Lord, may you grant us a greater measure of faith, Lord. May you open our eyes to see the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we may not be pulled aside by imaginations of this world. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here that is not believing in Christ, I pray that they would know that there is a true spiritual battle for their hearts that they are enslaved to their sin, and that they need to find their only hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, what a a gripping story as we hear of this this man and his father. What what great necessity, Lord, we have to be praying to you, to be calling out to you, to be looking to Jesus Christ as our only hope. Father, I thank you that he has come and ushered into his kingdom And he is the victorious, conquering king that even prays and intercedes for us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Well, as we think of 